a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And, Keith, today we're talking about ecocide. Now, first of all, first question, what does the term ecocide mean? Because many people won't be familiar with it. Yeah, so the word side, if, it, if it's um, appearing somewhere, would suggest a murder or killing of some sort, like homicide, suicide. So ecocide means uh, the destruction of the ecology, of the environment. It's had quite an interesting history. Um, Olaf Palmer, uh, who was the Swedish prime minister half a century ago, I think coined the term, probably not quite the first, but one of the, the most well-known people using the term, and he was describing the use of Agent Orange by the Americans in Vietnam. So um, I, I noticed when I was in Vietnam during the war that Agent Orange used to destroy the weaker vegetation and would enable um, other vegetation to grow in its place, and it actually became even harder to uh, harvest. And, of course, the real victims of Agent Orange were human beings because Agent Orange didn't just go after vegetation, it went after humans, particularly children, you have birth defects, etc. So Olaf Palm, the Swedish Prime Minister, accused the Americans of ecocide. And the phrase sort of hovered around. There are a number of people that I've been associated with over the decades who have alluded to it, but there was no real push for this until we get Polly Higgins. And so Paul, the late Polly Higgins who died back in 2019, was um, a Scottish barrister. Um, Her husband, Ian Laurie QC, um, serves as a judge and was very supportive of her pioneering work. And she was doing her normal legal work and suddenly said to herself, listening to this case, somebody being injured at work, well, the earth is being injured and the earth needs a lawyer. It's not just workers who are getting damaged in industrial accidents. It's the entire planet. And so she said that what the earth needs is a lawyer. And that then, that blinding insight from her triggered this crusade. Tragically, um, Polly Higgins uh, was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer and died just a few weeks later, back in 2019. She was only about 50 years old. So um, it's an absolute tragedy what happened to her, but she was certainly on the money in terms of encouraging us to take a different approach to trying to save the environment. There are obviously environmental treaties, but what she is say, what she said is that we should see a few people going to jail as a way of making, them, of making people take notice of what we're about. And it's interesting that in 2019, Vanuatu, a small country here in the South Pacific, said we ought to amend the Treaty of Rome, the International Criminal Court Treaty, to include ecocide as a crime, uh, along with all the other big ones like genocide, etc. So to that point, there is a high-profile panel of international experts who are carrying on Polly Higgins' legacy, and they are pushing for this term ecocide to be included as a fifth crime under the Rome Statute. 
Now, in order to explore this idea, tell us a bit more about the Rome Statute and, as you've mentioned, the four existing crimes. Yes, so this actually goes back, I think, to the end of World War II when it was decided by the Allied governments, which in those days ironically included the Soviet Union, that Nazi war criminals should go on trial and there was a similarly um, an international military tribunal for the Far East. That was presided over by an Australian judge. So, But most people know about the Nuremberg war crimes trials. For the Americans who hosted that first lot of war crimes trials, scooped up all the big Nazi villains. And then there were a whole series of other war crimes trials. The person who taught me international law, for example, Colonel Draper, had been one of the prosecutors at one of the British hosted international war crimes trials again after World War II. So we then had this precedent of an international criminal procedure to deal with the war criminals arising out of uh, Nazi Germany or Imperial Japan. Uh, And then really nothing happened. In the 50s and 60s, the Cold War emerged, and then the Americans and the Russians were no longer cooperating uh, on on anything. And so we ended up then with this precedent not really being followed up. And then in the 60s and 70s, you do get some... um, teachers in international law saying what we ought to do is to have a permanent version of Nuremberg, the war crimes trials, or Cologne if you're British, because that's the, Brit- the British hosted their ones in, in Cologne, but having some sort of permanent international military tribunal for a variety of crimes. And so we've had the work done through the Treaty of Rome, and uh, Australia is party to this. Ironically, the United States, China, and now Russia are not parties to that statute. So it's interesting because at the moment, as you know, President Biden is talking about Putin being a war criminal. The implication is that he ought to go to the International Criminal Court, but America doesn't recognise it. Uh, The Americans have never accepted the International Criminal Court and have worked very hard to persuade anyone thinking of putting Americans at the International Criminal Court, persuading them not to go ahead with that initiative. I might just say for the um, notion of fullness here that we've had separate tribunals set up to deal with former Yugoslavia and with Rwanda. So if you like, there there is a building up of a momentum in terms of, uh, of our having some sort of international criminal tribunal. A phrase that we've looked at previously in this series, although not you and I together, Sasha, is what's called the Overton Window. So the Overton window is a political science idea on how ideas change over time. And so an idea which seems pretty left field, so to speak, in a few years, few decades, few centuries, becomes actually much more mainstream. And um, a recent um, uh, article dealing with ecocide makes the comment that the ecocide example is an example of uh, the Overton window. The, the, Dr. Overton was a, an American political scientist. So what we're seeing is that when the proposal was, was being made years ago, or in the case of Olaf Palmer, half a century ago, when, when all that was being discussed, people said, oh, no, 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 it won't work, won't work. And yet as the decades have gone by, we now find greater support for ecocide, meaning the unlawful or wanton acts committed with knowledge that there is a substantial likelihood of severe and other widespread 
or long-term damage to the environment being caused by these acts. So when uh, the late Polly Higgins, the barrister, began her campaign, she was seen as being, you know, completely out there and, you know, not not at all um, to be taken seriously. And then by the time she died, uh, it had gathered more momentum. It still hadn't been accepted in the way that it is at this day, but nonetheless, she really put it onto the the front pages and she changed the Overton window. In other words, that an idea which at one point seemed outlandish is now increasingly being seen as a mainstream idea. So it's been a, a, a successful campaign by her and some of the people who've just picked up the baton after her uh, demise and are continuing to run with it. And who are the experts who make up this high-profile panel who are pushing to criminalise ECOSAT under this international law? So this is a group that's been set up. They've got their own website. It's called the Independent Expert Panel for the Legal Definition of Ecocide. The chair is Jojo Metta, and she convened the uh, panel of experts. I guess in the Australian context, the person who would be most well-known of the international experts is Philippe Sands QC, uh, who's often interviewed on Australian media um, because he's done a lot of work in the area of international law. So um, that's Philippe Sands, who's a member of this a widespread international panel, people drawn from um, around the world, and really come up with this, uh, well, it's actually an amendment to the Treaty of Rome. So going back to the Treaty of Rome, in order to be able to create an international criminal court, we need to have a treaty to do that. So the treaty um, is called the Treaty of Rome, And the suggestion is that we now actually amend the treaty so that it includes a provision relating to ecocide. As I say, going back to the Overton window, if if I'd made that sort of comment 20 years ago, you would have thought I was mad. (laughs) And now (laughs) the Overton window is moving and we're seeing more and more people saying, well, you know, it might be a good idea after all. So in international law, nothing happens quickly, but it does change. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Tannock and Keith, today we're talking about ecocide or the mass damage and destruction of ecosystems. So do you agree that international law does have a role to play in forcing corporations and the human race to protect the environment into the future? Do we need some kind of enforceable legal parameter? Yes, I think there are two ways of looking at this. The one way is to say that um, the whole idea of protecting the environment as an international idea is a very new idea. So the United Nations Charter was written in 1945, no mention at all about the environment. Nobody was thinking about the environment. And then uh, we start to get in the 1960s movements by certain groups saying the environment is becoming more and more of a a mess. We then get the uh, report from my organisation, the Club of Rome, on limits to growth. Uh, the argument being that we've done very well in uh, ensuring economic growth. Now we're going to live with the environmental consequences of all that we've been able to achieve. You get the 1972 UN Stockholm Conference on the Human Environment. And in the case of Australia, we didn't even have a national minister for the environment. So um, in order for Australia to be represented in Sweden in 1972 at the Stockholm Conference, we had to have a minister and Peter Howson, a Melbourne MP who died a few years back, he then became Australia's first 
Minister for the Environment is as, as if to suggest, yes, Australia is now paying attention to environmental matters. It's all very new. So we're talking about a huge change in the last 50 years. We've seen a, a succession of international treaties that are designed to protect the environment. One of my favourite ones is the Antarctic Treaty, about which I've written a great deal. The Antarctic Treaty has created a nuclear weapon-free zone in the southern polar region. You can't test nuclear weapons down there. You can't deploy nuclear weapons. You can't store nuclear waste down there. Uh, The Americans said, well, we can have perhaps a, a nuclear power station, but they couldn't get it to work, so they had to decommission it. But remember, you can't store nuclear waste in the Antarctic. So at an even greater cost, they then had to scoop up the building and the ground on which it stood and transport it back to the United States. So that's the Antarctic Treaty. So we've got we've got a network of treaties relating to the environment in one way or another. Now, a little Greta Thunberg would say, well, that's not enough. We've got to be moving more quickly. And I can understand the reason for her impatience. But as somebody who's been involved in this game now for half a century, I've got to say I'm seeing changes that... Um, are happening at a, at a great speed. So what is missing is a criminal component to people damaging the environment. So this, if you create an international criminal court, you would be creating criminals, so to speak, or individuals who could be alleged to be criminals and perhaps find some way of putting them in jail. As we do at the moment with the International Criminal Court, people who are being found guilty of war crimes do go to prison. They, the prison is actually in the Netherlands. So whether we would have uh, people destroying the environment going into a prison, I just don't know. Um, but that's clearly what the intention would be. So that's one point of view. I might just say for the record, though, that although there are a lot of people who think it's good to have a treaty to criminalise damage to the environment, There is also a bigger question which some people are raising. Remember, they're not opposed to having the environment uh, protected by a branch of new international criminal law, but they're just simply saying we need to have a system change. So the Industrial Revolution, let's say that began in 1750, that was based on environmental destruction. So we get the idea, therefore, that we need to have um, coal being dug out of the ground, railways laid down, canals cut through the Uh, originally the English countryside and then to other parts of the world. And so we have lived through this industrial era now since 1750, just gradually moved around the world, Western Europe, North America, and eventually to Australia and New Zealand. So some people would say, look, you can't litigate your way into protecting the environment. Uh, We've got to look at system change and we've got to find new ways of doing things rather than just relying upon criminal penalties. And there is an argument, I think, at the moment, we see it particularly in the United States, this belief that if you can introduce more and more rules, then somehow you're going to improve the quality of life. I'm I'm noticing quite a reaction against that. I think it may be one of the reasons we had problems with the people who didn't approve of all the shutting down of the economy with the COVID crisis, um, or people like yourself being stranded at home, that people are just saying we're sick of all these regulations. And so I think there, there could be a problem. I, I, I support, obviously, the International Criminal Court. I support the creation of the crime of ecocide. Um, it's going to take a while for that 
Treaty of Rome to be amended, even longer to get the Americans, the Russians, and the Chinese to agree to it. Australia, by the way, is a party to that Treaty of Rome. But it means that we've got other, even bigger changes ahead of us if we're going to be successful in protecting the environment. So, yes, I'm in favour of there being the crime of ecocide being defined in international law, that this be a matter for the International Criminal Court, and we look at what constitutes ecocide and and what would make a climate criminal, for example. I'm in favour of all of that. But in the back of my mind, again, haunted by the little Greta Thunberg, is the idea, look, we've got to have systems change. Um, it's not enough just to make in, introduce changes uh, at the legal system. We need some bit really big changes to how we live uh, and our, our expectations about the standards of living, et cetera, how we generate in energy, et cetera. These are all really big issues. So, yes, I support the International Criminal Court dealing with ecocide, but that shouldn't be alone our only target. We've got to look at other big changes to the system itself. And I guess to that point, uh, criminalising ecocide is one thing, but it has to be done alongside political, diplomatic and economic initiatives because law or criminalising it alone will not deter people as much as large penalties in the case of some corporations. Or I note, as this expert panel point out, um, criminalising would, though, make these corporations become unlicensable and uninsurable. So that's a penalty in itself economic-wise. <laughs> Absolutely. And from an insurance point of view, that's a key factor. We're already seeing that, for example, with the debate in Australia, that some parts of the Australian coastline might become uninsurable because of the risk of climate change. Um, I was recently at Port Douglas and I was surprised to see the extensive requirements now for any building to go up in Port Douglas and making it hurricane-proof. And this has been a point, let me just say, of the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome argued that 20, 20th century will be known as a century of the economy because in the 20th century we worked out how you get economic growth and the world has grown faster in the last, say, half century than in the millennia of its previous existence. So the 20th century, century of economic growth. 21st century will be the century of the environment, not because we'll all suddenly be greenies, but simply because environmental problems will so force themselves upon us that we will have no choice but to pay attention to environmental issues. And I say, if you're a homeowner in Port Douglas at the moment, you have to pay attention to the environment. If you're living in Florida in the United States, you're having to pay attention to these issues as well. The United States Navy, for example, at, in uh, Virginia, uh, it's interesting, uh, if there's a big storm coming in, all the ships have to leave the naval base. It's safer for them to be on the high seas rather than being rattled by all the high tides that'll be going on inside the uh, naval base off the coast of Virginia. So it's interesting how we are having to change our way of behaviour so that this idea of, of uh, ecocide I think is a further incentive for us to get our act together. And when we talk about ecocide, what kind of act are we talking about? What would be covered by this new law? Do we know? We've yet to work out how, how it would be applied, but something like, you know, the, the mass cutting down of trees in the Amazon rainforest. You know, people say that the Amazon rainforest represent the lungs of the earth. And so if you're just having people cutting down trees in that indiscriminate way in huge amount, then that would certainly, perhaps, I don't know, because we've yet to define exactly what would be a, a crime of ecocide, but it may be that sort of really big long-term problem and ones that for those who are committing the crime, 
know they are doing wrong because there have just been so many warnings about the problem of cutting down trees in the Amazon rainforest. So you're right. You'll end up with people losing their social license to operate. And suddenly people say, we don't want to have anything to do with that company if it's going to be cutting down the trees, particularly if the company directors then go to jail. Well, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see, yeah, when the stakes are upped and, and just fascinating to see whether this uh, actually would have the result of shifting cultural change, I guess, and that Overton window be interesting to see we're in another few years where we are. Absolutely. Listener.